Hello and welcome to the Inside Social Work podcast, where we take a peek behind the scenes into different fields of social work, engage and inspire practitioners, translate research into practice and encourage lifelong learning. I'm your host, Marie Vakakis. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. Hello listeners, in today's episode of Inside Social Work, I chat with Lachlan Slade about his experiences working in rural communities. He shares with us some of his challenges, uh, some of the benefits and his tips for self-care and personal and professional growth when working in uh, rural communities. Welcome to the podcast, Lachlan. So welcome to the Inside Social Work podcast, Lachlan. Do you want to give us a bit of a rundown on who you are, what you do, and your journey into rural social work? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I've uh, been a social worker for around about 10 years. I I graduated from La Trobe University, uh, started in Wodonga and finished in Bendigo. Um, Grown up in Shepparton um, for pretty much all my life Um, and, yeah, have always seen um, no other way but rural practice um, that, yeah, I've lived in rural areas and loved rural areas all my life. Um, so, yeah, my my first job out of uni, I really struck it lucky and I think um, a lot of that was an account of starting my, um, my social work practice rurally, um, that I became a generalist and problem gambling counsellor um, right from, from graduation and it was a really, really lucky break because it was it was the the field of social work practice that I always wanted to get into is is counselling practice, and that really gave me a, an excellent grounding to, um, I suppose, practice at, at the start mostly the Rogerian counselling skills, um, which even looking back, it's amazing how much counselling just relies on the Rogerian basic skills um, that you know, anything on top of that's a bonus. Um, and so, yeah, started my practice there. I moved over to uh, Castlemaine um, a couple of years after that and worked in uh, suicide, an LGBTIQ suicide prevention program called Way Out. Um, so I was with that program for nearly two years. Uh, so more um, health promotion, community development type work. I uh, got back into counselling with Catholic Care and also started um, doing LGBTIQ specialist counselling at La Trobe University in uh, Bendigo. Um, and also, so after that, I ended up working at University of Melbourne in Shepparton um, with uh, the medical school student cohort Um, and up until now uh, so recently came out of headspace in Shepparton and now with uh, the Golden Valley Centre Against Sexual Assault Um, so had quite a few different experiences and um, yeah a lot of um, experience uh, I suppose within the the small communities that I was working within uh, working with small communities within those small communities as well so um, yeah Lots of lots of variety in there. Yeah, you said generalist, but you almost became special specialist in a lot of little different areas quite quickly, by the sounds of it. Definitely, definitely, and um, I think it's yeah. There, there's been 
I'm, I'm understanding and I, I often look at rural practice as my starting point and whenever I hear rural practice talked about I'm like oh okay so that that speaks about how city practice is um that um I've yeah see done a lot of generalist work that you know sometimes I'm doing some case management sometimes I'm doing some community development um but yeah the there also has been those opportunities to specialise, um, you know, where there's more presentations of a particular um, issue or something like that. Sometimes I'll be able to, um, you know, get extra PD, do extra research in a particular area. And um, yeah, LGBTIQ practice was certainly one of those areas that I, um, I suppose, got a, a big passion for early in my career. and. Um, in Shepparton, uh, that culminated in us uh, putting together the Out in the Open Festival. So it was um, the first LGBTIQ festival um, in Shepparton, and we I did that with um, some other some other social workers and health promotion practitioners and whatnot around Shepparton, and it was. I suppose uh, the the explicit aim of that program of that um, festival was to um, I suppose essentially start with where the Shepparton community was at in terms of um, celebrating LGBTIQ citizens of our community, which on reflection at that time we saw that Shepparton was doing a little bit better than some other communities um, because. And I think we put it down to Shepparton having a large, a big history of um, accepting and, and welcoming uh, migrant communities, refugee communities, and some things we could still do a lot better, but in many ways we're probably doing better than some other communities. And I think that welcome of diversity um, kind of translated to the LGBTIQ community in some ways. Um, but yeah, the aim of the festival was to um, yeah take it another step further again, um, and um, yeah, m ensure that that celebration went even further. What have been some of the, I guess, challenges or what, different ways of working when you're talking about rural social work? So, um, you know, when you were saying before you hear rural social work, you think, oh, so is it different in the city? What are some of the things yeah. that make it a, a unique space that you, that changes the way you work with people? Yeah, it's, um, and contrasting to what I hear about, um, city practice, I think there's definitely a lot more willingness from organisations for social workers to get in and do, um, to, you know, there's not, there, there's certainly a respect for people who have their experience and, and whatnot, but a recognition that sometimes those people don't exist. So, um, you know, for me, being a generalist counsellor in a community health setting, um, I, I suppose, had that knowledge that I brought with me that um, people that, you know, some contemporaries who had a diploma in welfare or something like that, which we see a lot more of in rural areas, um, that, yeah, the, the contrast between the skill set that I got from my course versus the skill set they got from their course was um, made fairly clear um, fairly quickly. And, um, yeah, what that meant was I was afforded more opportunities to, um, I suppose, take on any 
almost any speciality, um, follow my passions, follow um, where my, my skill set and maybe I don't know, natural talents or something like that led me to. Um, so, yeah, I yeah, certainly got many, many more opportunities and, and I have no doubt that me being eligible now to become a mental health social worker would not have happened um, if I were practising out of Fitzroy or wherever else in the city. Um, that, yeah, I've had the, this luxury, this um, this privilege because I have started my career and done my career in a rural area. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm feeling much more fulfilled in my career as a result um, of that, yeah. It sounds like you were given a lot more, I guess, professional respect in terms of you're qualified now, we've got a role for you. Maybe yes. maybe thrown in the deep end, but also just go for it. Yeah. Take some risks, we'll support you, do your thing. How did Sorry. you find, um, and something we talk about a lot on the podcast and um, I talk about with my students is an idea of having maybe not necessarily supervision, but sort of professional mentors or people that you can work with or align with. How do you find that in a rural community? Because I imagine services are spread a little thin and often over quite a large geographical space as well. So what are some of the ways that you maybe negotiated that or worked with it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the opportunities I've been afforded, afforded later in my career have... I suppose seen being able to access uh, much more skilled supervision. Um, my current clinical supervisor is excellent, um, has decades of experience in counselling through a number of areas and really couldn't wish for a better clinical supervisor and my workplace helps to fund that external clinical supervision. Um, and I think earlier on in my career, I really needed to look beyond the social profession um wholly and solely um so looking the one of my i suppose mentors um someone that i really looked up to and who's now a close friend um and i think um yeah, i'll start that again <laughs> oh no we, um, we heard you it was just a little bit crackly uh, but um yeah no we got yeah, that so you yep yeah, keep going <laughs> That's cool, sorry. Um, I, yeah, st started looking to people from other professions. Um, so my manager at the community health centre uh, was a psychologist and uh, worked in a very social worky kind of way, in a lot of ways. And um, yeah, got some, some excellent supervision uh, from her. Um, I... I think to um, in Shepparton in particular um, and other rural communities don't necessarily have the same um, coming together that um, Shepparton does, but we've got a, the Gobble Murray Social Workers Group has been around for, I think about 30 years now. Um, so not long after I was born. Um, and it's um, the cohesiveness in that group and the, um, the, the sense of community that um, social workers have in Shepparton is made so much stronger um, because of that, that team of people um, and their 
a remarkably accomplished and experienced group of people um, all the way through to, you know, mid-career clinicians like myself to new graduates and students now that we've got a social work course in Shepparton um, has been, um, yeah, a, a really, I think that's, I'm possibly getting a little bit of a, ahead of the podcast, but that's been essential for my self-care as well in developing my own um, professional identity is, um, yeah, having having those people around me. And um, to the point now where um, slight, slight tangent as I'm known to do, um, one of my frustrations through my social work has been the... I suppose, struggle to engage in social policy work um, in a meaningful sort of way, you know, beyond necessarily just writing off a letter to an MP or something like that. So um, out of the Golden Murray Social Workers Group, we've formed the um, the Social Policy Committee. Um, and, yeah, that's been an opportunity for, you know, policy wonks like myself to um, come together and um, yeah, work on um, yeah, some social policy issues that are affecting the, the local community. And um, yeah, we put on a Meet the Candidates forum in the lead up to the last state election, um, which yeah, saw us highlighting some issues that were not on the um, the policy agenda for a lot of parties, and some some big social issues like poverty, like homelessness, and and climate change, and um, indigenous affairs, and things like this. So um, yeah, we got. I think we we do have those uh, opportunities here. Um, that have been, um, yeah, really excellent here in Shepparton. That sounds, um, what I'm hearing from that, it, well, many things which are really exciting is almost as well, if it, if it doesn't exist, create it. So you were saying there's not a lot of, there wasn't a lot of work being done to push um, for policies. So a group of social workers got together and created a policy group. That's it. Love it. That's amazing. <laughs> I know, I know. And it's um very social work thing to do. It's fantastic. Very, and, and a very rural community thing to do too, yep. I think. So yeah, it's been great. That's I think that's a hard thing for um for some of the the graduates coming through. And maybe social work, uh, one of the things that does us a disservice is we tend to put our clients' immediate needs ahead of our own. So sometimes we don't take that step back and think, how do we band together to support each other to do this work on a larger scale? Um, is sometimes, you know, if something doesn't exist, sometimes it's up to social workers to create it. Like we look at a lot of things that have happened over time, a lot of policies or programs or organisations that never existed. Someone saw a need and started it. That's it. That's it. Absolutely. And it's, yeah, I think, think we need to see more of that um, in social work and in, in our communities. It's, yeah, it's great. So how do you personally keep yourself, I guess, energized and resilient to some of those changes in the landscape, both, you know, from climate change, economical disadvantage, um, the political dialogue that changes, what keeps you motivated and I guess sane during those moments of tough times absolutely I think that's it's a big question and um, I think 
I, I've been beginning to see far, far more um, as my career, as my life progresses, that self-care is far, far more than having a warm bath now and then and doing a bit of yoga now and then, that um, it is about the structure, the way that you do your life, the way that you do your social work um, that, that really matters. And, and particularly, in, I think, while I've certainly highlighted a lot of the, the positives of, of practising in a rural community, the negatives or may, maybe more accurately a challenge of working in a rural community is that you are in, you know, you're possibly streets away from your clients. Um, <laughs> one, one experience I had um, in one role, my office was probably about, um, you know, not even 100 metres away from where some of my clients lived. Um, so the, the challenges are, are definitely there. So I think what I've done is, particularly now having a, a young family, um, spending time with my five-year-old um, has been a great source of self-care for me. Um, making sure, particularly in my work, um, and particularly in counselling practice, it can often be hard to see when changes are happening. And I think like a lot of counsellors, I'm in there to see clients making the changes that they want to see in their lives. Um, but noticing those little changes and seeing, you know, particularly in my work at CASA at the moment, that post-traumatic growth, seeing that when it does happen, um, relying on the evidence base and knowing what is within my control and knowing what isn't in my control and I'm beginning to see so much more that there's little in my control um, in clients' lives um, but that when clients do come to me um, that you know what help what assistance what counseling I do offer them um, can often help and knowing when that does help seeing when that does help um, is very important um, I think um, yeah, being in the community that I'm in is also a great help that um, forming connections is easy, um, that, you know, there's there's lots of people of similar age, similar situations in Shep that I can connect with easily. Um, yeah, being able to get out into nature, which, um, you know, I'm looking at, at bushland just across the road from me right now. Um, and, yeah, I suppose making sure that that balance in, is right in my life and knowing, knowing the things that recharge my batteries as well. Um, I think I'm one of those strange people, and, and you may be one of these people too, Marie, that um, I, I recharge my batteries from, um, from lecturing, from, I suppose, getting up and, and performing to an extent, um, that my, my lecturing at, at La Trobe in Shepparton has been... Um, yeah, an opportunity to uh, give back and, and see the next generation of social workers come in and, you know, put forward my practice in that way. So, yeah, there's a lot of ways there. <laughs> no, I, I can see that. I, I mean, I refer to them as my little minions because I feel like I'm, I'm training them to go out and do the dirty work of social work sometimes. Um, <laughs> you know, so that's, you know, a lot, a lot of weight there on their shoulders. So they're, um, no, it's quite good. There's a lot of things you mentioned there that I, I really want to, I could pick out so many of those, but I guess one thing that stood out to me as being quite, um, maybe more specifically unique to rural work is that idea of, you could be living close to your clients and bumping into them a lot more frequently. So how do you manage 
those maybe dual relationships or those personal and professional boundaries because for some of us even if we work 15 minutes half an hour away from our uh, where we live this that, that's quite a lot of distance in the city you can kind of get suburbs away in that time what are some of yep. the unique um logistical challenges or or just things you need to consider when you know maybe when you're working with young people you might see them in counseling but their parent might be your hairdresser or your butcher or the teacher of your children in their kindergarten like what are some of the the things you need to consider around those sorts of things absolutely it's look i think my when when i first started in social work it was definitely a source of great anxiety because we are taught that we must be very very clear around those boundaries and look i'm i'm not at all discounting that that a lot of that is true i think one thing that I've, I wish was around earlier in my career um, was, um, I suppose, a lot of the theories that are, I suppose, certainly gaining a lot more popularity now um, around um, decolonial thinking um, and recognising that we are all a part of a community and that we all play our roles within a community, that I suppose holding those those values of that um, separation from our clients a little more lightly, I think would be the best way to put it, that certainly take it seriously, but recognise that I, I used to have a rule that, um, and I'd, I'd talk about it early on, in particularly if I could see that there was some, you know, social circles or some, you know, ways that I may be crossing paths with a client or more likely to be crossing paths. Um, I would have that conversation and I usually started off by saying I won't say hi to you unless you say hi to me but that relied on my memory being good enough to go I know you from counselling and not I've seen your face before I'm going to smile and wave to be friendly so I've um, I, I reverted to um, saying I will probably wave and smile at you because my memory's not that great and I wave and smile at anyone that I recognise um, and then have a, depending on the situation, I may then go into a discussion around, you know, boundaries that, you know, what's talked about in counselling is for counselling and, you know, we may see each other on the street and we'll say hi and, and that's, that's probably about the extent of it and there's never been an issue with that and and particularly um, in working in some of the smaller communities within small communities um, that has been um, more of a negotiation um, than it has been in some other roles um, but yeah I think being able to be light with that being able to I suppose be clear about the the roles of responsibilities of counselling and where counselling happens and where counselling doesn't happen. Um, that you know, small talk happens outside counselling. Um, yeah, can be an important thing to to look at. I'm glad you I'm glad you mentioned that because I I struggle with a bit of the same. I think my most complex is adults tend to be a bit more. Um, awkward if they see you out in the street especially if maybe their friends or their partner don't know that they're seeking counseling whereas kids yeah. will be like hey how are you going oh everybody this is my counselor yes absolutely <laughs> and and to the point where 
um, some of the schools that I was working in um, in my last role, um, you know, small rural communities on the outskirts of Shepparton, where I may be seeing, um, you know, two or three of my clients may be from the same friendship group, um, where, you know, and I think part of that is because I've found that as I get further in my career, I'm able to compartmentalise that a little bit easier. Um, but yeah, that I'd have a stock standard answer of I can't talk about whether I do or not do not see um, anybody else in this school. And it's, yeah, made, made easier that way. <laughs> I think sometimes it also works in your favour, the more people you just get to know, because then no one knows exactly how they know you, they just know you. So um, yes. And I, t I got a lot of students doing their placements in schools and sometimes if you're out and about and you're going on camps or excursions or in the, um, in the yard at recess and lunch, it, it, people just know you from being around. So then it almost puts everyone on that equal sort of um, footing of you could be saying hello to that student because you just know them from the canteen line or from camp or at the bus stop. So that almost yeah. reduces the secrecy around it. That's it. That's it. And it's, I, I kind of see that as, I suppose, stepping from that micro practice into the meso practice as well, that, you know, where, as, I suppose, I don't know about you, but I, I know that I chose social work for the plethora that it offers, that in, in one role, I may be doing micro and meso practice. Um, in in one role and that could be flipping you know several times during the day and yeah it's it's being part of that community huh yeah absolutely I think you're right and you can get um you can get kind of stuck or bogged down in any one of those spaces so I guess that's very unique to social work is yeah thinking about the interaction of all those different layers that's it that's it so you touched a little bit on self-care before. Um, that's more than just a bath. What do you feel is something that maybe you said now 10 years in that you wish you knew when you started off? Like, is there anything that you've kind of learned along the way that you thought, if I could do my time again, I would have implemented this earlier or I would have done more or less of, of something? Yeah. Um, I think, and it, I feel like a broken record because I remember my lecturers in uni talking about this. I, I know that I say this in my own lectures now, that getting a good clinical supervisor is key. Um, and yeah, as, as I mentioned before, the clinical supervisor I've got at the moment is excellent, very experienced, has faith in me um, and on a very similar theoretical um, footing as well um, and I kind of wish that I had have started that supervisory relationship earlier um, I think definitely getting self-care is all about getting balance in life and to some extent I did get it right earlier on in that I I was offered full-time work, but I said, no, I'd, I'd rather four days a week. That, that extra day a week um, meant that I could just do other things. Um, uh, back then, I, I did a, um, 
community radio program and um, that was a lot of fun and it meant that um, you know four days a week I was sitting down and listening to other people and for three hours every Friday night I was making the Goblin Valley sit down and listen to me. They <laughs> um, <laughs> could have turned off but you know. <laughs> um, yeah the the human relationships um, making sure that that um, for me and, and I know that this is true for me and, and knowing what is true for me is, I suppose, part of the self-care journey as well, that what's going to work for my wife, who's also a social worker, won't necessarily work for me. But, yeah, making sure that I'm having a coffee now and then, having a, you know, asking for a longer lunch to catch up with a friend or whatever it might be, um, really recharges my batteries. Um, I've found my love for gardening as well and one of the other um, advantages of, of living in, in a rural area is that you can get a relatively large chunk of land for relatively cheap um, in the grand scheme of things anyway all land is expensive these days but um, uh, yeah being able to get out into the garden and grow some veggies and you know do some pruning and weeding which some people that might be a nightmare but for me that's my idea of relaxing um, yeah finding those those sorts of opportunities and yeah I think yeah also in in your work conceptualizing what it is that you're doing in your work why you're doing it and I suppose patting yourself on the back when you do have the winds because the winds will come and sometimes they'll be very hard to identify when the winds come but knowing what a wind looks like um, relative to the client group, the work, etc um, and knowing fairly um, and, you know, yeah, without without over-egging the omelette, without overdoing yourself, but also without underplaying yourself as well, that knowing exactly how much your role in that was um, can be really important as well, um, I've found. Um, and I think to one of the luxuries in a rural area, um, being a social worker, is that the job opportunities are a bit better, that um, you're there's going to be less competition for the jobs that you're applying for. So your ability to choose an organisation with the right culture um, is much easier um, in a rural community because in just as in, I would imagine, in metro communities, just as in rural communities, there are unfortunately some organisations that have poorer workplace cultures than others, um, some that are downright toxic, some that just get it completely right. Um, and, yeah, being able to, and, and in a smaller community, knowing um, who you can go to to ask and, and know about the um, organisations in your community and being able to pick those organisations, um, there's a little bit more luxury to do that in rural communities as well. Well, there's, yeah, so much there in, um, in supervision, in workplace culture, uh, in your own sort of self-care strategies. Um, one thing I wanted to pick up, which a lot of people mention the importance of supervision, and the more I work with um, graduates, and, and students, the more I, I see that some of the challenge lies in what exactly that looks like and how do you make the most of it? So coming from studying 
where you're kind of told what to do, you do your essay or your assignment, and it's very much a directed by 